in this life saying to God, trust me, you're going to hurt some people mentally. In this life saying to God, you will sin and you're going to do the opposite of what God has asked you to do. Just like God said, talk to the rock, don't hit the rock, you're going to mess up. In this life saying to God, you will disappoint people and you're going to disappoint yourself. But you will and you're going to cause untold harm in various ways. But if you finish the journey well, if you finish the journey well, saints of God, Christ is going to stand for you. If you finish the journey well, Christ is going to resurrect you. On that great getting up morning, saints, he's going to blow that trumpet and we who are dead in Christ shall, shall be risen first and we who are alive shall be caught up to the clouds. If you finish the journey well, It is always a blessing and an honor to be here and to stand before uh, the congregation and to those who are on Zoom or YouTube, whatever platform you may, may be watching on, uh, to be able to stand here and deliver uh, what God has given me uh, to give this particular Sabbath and each, each particular Sabbath, right? Um, sometimes you know what you're Sometimes you kind of have an idea of what you may be about to preach and you kind of work it, you pray on it, different things like that. And then maybe God takes you a different direction and, you know, sometimes you don't necessarily know. But uh, it's definitely an enjoyable process. And I know you've heard preachers say before that first it has to hit you, you know, before it hits the next person. Right. And oftentimes that's what it is. It hits me now. Good afternoon. I just said all that just to wait till 12 o'clock to tell you. Good afternoon. It's the only reason I just said that. Good afternoon to everybody. All right. There we go. We got the nice little smiles. Let's have a word of prayer and hop right into our word for today. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you be with us these next few moments. Open up our minds. Open up our hearts to receive you in Christ's name. I pray. Amen. And amen. Go with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 34 verses 1 to 7. Now just hold it right there and thank you, Kamaria, for that great read of the word. I'm not going to reread it just yet, but go ahead and turn there. And just to throw this out, there will be a number of text, not a lot of text, but there's going to be a few. And there's going to be one in particular I'm going to need you to actually turn to, right? And I'm going to need you to park there with your spiritual vehicle. All right, let me read this to you. On Wednesday, April 3rd, 1968, it's the last Sabbath of Black History Month, so gotta come from the Black History angle one more again. Somebody say one more again. One more again. On Wednesday, April 3rd, 1968, at the Bishop Charles Mason Temple in Memphis, Tennessee. There you go, Dr. C. In Memphis, Tennessee, Martin Luther King Jr. preached a sermon entitled, I've Been to the Mountaintop. While in Memphis to assist with a protest concerning the sanitation workers. Phenomenal sermon. I don't know if you're into listening to uh, Martin Luther King sermons, but I am. That's really the only sermons I listen to. Uh, uh, but they are some powerful Powerful sermons. In the last couple of minutes of this phenomenal 43-minute sermon, he said these words. It's the final part, two minutes. I left Atlanta this morning. 
And as we got started on the plane, there were six of us. The pilot said over the public address system, we are sorry for the delay, but we have Dr. Martin Luther King on the plane. And to be sure that all of the bags were checked because they had to check them for different things, and to be sure that nothing would be wrong with the plane because Dr. Martin Luther King was on there, civil rights leader, we had to check out everything carefully. And we've had the plane protected and guarded all night. Dr. King goes on to say, and then I got to Memphis. And some began to say the threats or talk about the threats that were out. What would happen to me from some of our Caucasian brothers? Well, I don't know what will happen now, Dr. King said. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter now because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. 97 years sounds good. Longevity has its place, Dr. King went on to say. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, Dr. King said, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord, Dr. King said. Then on Thursday, April 4th, 1968, one day later, after Dr. King had given this powerful sermon, he was standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, where at 6.05 p.m., Dr. King had been shot and killed. I may not be there with you, but I've seen the promised land. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 1 to 7. Let's read that one more again. Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read it from the New King James Version Bible. It's not on the screen, so you may have to turn to it in your... Oh, it's in the bulletin. That's fine. There you go. If you got the bulletin, turn to it. We want to make sure that we're where we need to be. And as is my custom to say, if you fall asleep on me and you are an adult, I will come sit by you and make a whole lot of noise until you wake up. So dare to go to sleep on me so that I can please make noise. Good to see you, Sister Mills. Good to see you. Me and Sister Mills had a conversation last night. We were going back and forth, and she showed up in church today. Amen for that one. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan. All Naphtali and all the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the Western Sea. The south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zor. The Bible goes on to say, then the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to give Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. Saying, I will give it to your descendants. I've caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over. 
Verse 5, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab. Man, it must be a good thing to get buried by the Lord. Opposite Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. Lastly, verse 7, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished, meaning that man could have lived a lot longer. But he wasn't going into the promised land. Speak to you from the title, as you see in your bulletin and I've seen on the screen, finish the journey well. Finish the journey well. As Moses stood on the mountaintop, he was able to see all of the land that God had promised to his forefathers. However, even though he had labored long with the children of Israel, and I'm talking he's labored long with the children of Israel, he was not to be permitted to cross into the promised land. Moses had forsaken the spoils of Egypt for 40 years, remember as the Bible said, to suffer affliction with his people. He's decided I'm going to give up all of my rights and I'm going to give up all of this money so that I can suffer affliction. I don't know about you, but that would have been a hard decision for me. But he did it. Moses had committed murder. Then he fled to Midian where he tended the sheep for 40 years. Moses had now returned to Egypt to stand before Pharaoh with a stern, thus saith the Lord, to let the children of Israel go free out of Egyptian bondage. Moses had seen the mighty miracles of God as God had redeemed his people unto himself. Moses had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years with the children of Israel enduring hardship. He's endured all of their complaining time and time again. And you know the children of Israel did some complaining. They didn't like the weather. They didn't like the food. They didn't like Moses. They didn't like where they was going. They ain't like nothing. That man was enduring some complaining. He also endured people trying to usurp his authority that God had given him as their visible leader, though God was the true yet invisible leader himself. He had to deal with that. Moses had witnessed in the wilderness their cowardice to go into the promised land 40 years earlier. They could have already been over there. Moses could have been over there chilling, eating grapes and all the rest of it. However, their cowardice kept them out. Ten spies gave a negative report. Two individuals gave a great report. They went with the ten spies and 40 years they traveled in the wilderness. Moses had heard the people constantly wanting to go back to Egypt to serve as slaves because they were comfortable in their discomfort, while the discomfort to get to, new, to a new place was uncomfortable, and so they murmured. They didn't want to be in Egypt. Who wants to be in slavery? Who really wants to be in chains and in bondage, but their discomfort was so comfortable to them that they'd rather deal with the discomfort of what they knew than get freedom from that mess. Oh, don't act like some of us ain't that. 
God says, step out by faith, but you stay on the other side of the Red Sea because you're scared of the outcome. Don't think that you and I are much different than the children of Israel. See, it's easy reading their story, but how about as you're going through the story before it's written? See, your story isn't completely written yet because you're still alive. But eventually, we're going to stand up like we do about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and some of these other great leaders, and we're going to talk about their legacies and what they did and or what they did not do, just as somebody will talk about you. Whether you lived a faith journey or whether you didn't live a faith journey, Moses had also endured frustration while leading the children of Israel. See, sometimes... Y'all think as leaders, we don't get frustrated. Y'all think as leaders, we don't get angry. Y'all think as leaders, we don't get upset. But Moses had to deal with the frustration of leading these wayward individuals, these millions of people. And so Moses, this mighty man of valor, this type of Christ who has interceded who's interceded, who's even said, you know what, blot me out of existence, but take these individuals. He's interceded for his people. He now stands at the mountaintop of Pisgah and he looks out with holy eye and holy awe and he sees the land that he will never touch. He's led these people 40 years. And if you see Moses' life, it's broken down into three forties. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years tending the sheep, 40 years of leading these people, all of the things that he's endured only to get to the edge of the land and not be able to go over. See, we read the Bible in after the fact. But see, as it's going on, Moses doesn't know what's going to happen after the fact. We're reading this story after it's already happened, thousands of years after it's already happened. So we're able to rejoice of the eventual resurrection of Moses, but Moses doesn't know that that's what's going to happen. All he knows is, I've led these people and this is where I die. And so he stands on the mountaintop and he looks over, but he's never going to touch it. But God had something better for him. But God had something better for him, which Moses could not see at that point. In the book of Numbers, we find the reasoning that Moses now stands where he stands on the top of Pisgah, yet not able to lead his people in the promised land. Go with me to Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 to 13. Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 to 13. And I need you to turn there in your Bibles with me. Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 to 13. This one is not in your bulletins, and this one is not on the screen. So let me know you have it when you have it by telling me amen. Some people's mouths ain't move. So I'm assuming you ain't got it. So don't worry, we'll give you a few seconds. Do, 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 do. You got it, all right. Good to see you again, brother. Good to see you. All right, is everybody there yet? Uh, good sister, good sister. You ain't got no Bible. Where's your Bible, good sister? Oh, we'll wait for an answer. 
There you go. It's right there. Come on, it's right there. Numbers chat right in front of you. Who else? Oh, y'all see, y'all don't be thinking I'm going to call y'all out. Let's see. Y'all got your phones. That's all right. All right. Y'all sharing the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Brandon, you got a Bible. Good job. Good job. Who else ain't got no Bible around here? See, y'all just think I'm just going to go on. It's Sabbath. We ain't got nowhere to go. We ain't got nothing to do. Oh, yeah, there y'all go. Y'all sharing. You see how when I start getting on all y'all, y'all say, how's it going today? Y'all start turning the things. Good to see you. There you go. Andrew, good job. You got yours out too. It, uh, Makai, where's your? Oh, you got your Bible. There you go. There you go. Everybody got their Bibles. That's what I like to see. All right, what text are we at? Numbers chapter 20, and we are at verse 7 through 13. I'm going to read it from the New King James Version Bible. Hold on, one person ain't got it. We ain't got time for excuses. Where's the Bible at? All right, help her with it or something. Stand next to her or something. Do something like that. Just perpetrate like you're showing it to her or something like that. All right, Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 to 13. Here we go. See, if I get to preaching something that ain't in the Bible, then y'all going to be like, where is that? Well, you wouldn't know because you ain't got your Bible. So now that you got your Bible, you know it's there. Amen, somebody. Thank you. Bible says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod. You and your brother Aaron gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock before their eyes. Talk to the rock. If you remember back in Exodus, he was told to strike the rock, but not here. Speak to the rock before their eyes and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and for the animals. Look at God. He's not only giving drink for the humans, he's giving it for the animals too. Look at, look at God. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he had commanded him. Numbers chapter 20 verse 10 and it says, And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels. You know, he could have he could have said here now, saints of God, here now, children of Israel, that man. I, listen, when you look at the wording of some of these things, you've got to understand this man is tired of leading these people. This man is literally legit tired of leading these individuals. And he says, here now, you rebels. And you should see an exclamation point after that. Must we bring water for you out of this rock? Man, well, I always got to do everything for y'all. Y'all can't figure nothing out. Got to put it in your own vernacular sometimes. Then Moses lifted his hand and he struck the right rock twice with this rod. Moses, Moses, that's not what you were supposed to do, brother man. Yeah. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation and their animals drank. Numbers chapter 20, verse 12. It then says, then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not. You ain't about to bring the assembly into the land which I have given them. Lastly, verse 13. This was the water of Meribah because the children of Israel contended with the Lord and he was hallowed among them. Moses, my friends, had led the people, yet he finds himself now in yet another predicament because the people needed water 
to drink. Again, it's these complaining people over and over that constantly need something. They need some water. They want some better food. We are tired of eating manna. We don't want this stuff that falls out of heaven. We want quails. So they get quails and quails start coming out their nose and coming out their eye sockets. All right, you want that too? There you go. But Moses has dealt with their whining and complaining consistently. I need you to understand this historical fact about the location where they where they were at, where they were in Kadesh. If you went up a few verses more to around verse one or verse two, they were in a place called Kadesh. And where they were in Kadesh was normally what word did I say? Normally. Right. Where they were in Kadesh was normally a well watered oasis. However, Upon arriving this time, they found it to be dry. See, you know, they thought they was going to come back and there was going to be some water there. Because in this location, normally it was bountiful with water, but not this time. They've come back and now this area where they expected water to be was dry. By it not being how they normally knew it to be well watered, they began to argue or contend with Moses in their normal characteristic manner. Moses, have you taken us all the way out here to die? Moses, lead us back to Egypt. How many years had they already traveled in the wilderness and these clowns are still asking to go back to slavery? Now, just think about this for a minute. They've been wandering in this here wilderness for a long time. They've already seen the entire Egyptian army or the majority of the Egyptian army swallowed up by water, swallowed up by the miraculousness of God. But they still want to go back there. But really, that's no different than you and I. They're really no different than you and I, because how many times do you go backwards in sin when God is trying to take you forward, but you want to go backward to what's common? And God says, turn ye, turn ye, why will you perish? So let's be a little bit easier on the children of Israel, because we are similar to these individuals. So in their normal characteristic manner, they're, pl- they're complaining Oh, my, 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 saints of God. Oh, my, 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 saints of God. You know how it is when, when something in church doesn't go the way you expect it to go. What do you do? You start complaining. When you look back over the visible leaders of Ypsilanti Seventh-day Adventist Church, and I said the visible leaders, when you look back over the visible leaders of the Ypsilanti Seventh-day Adventist Church and you have high expectations but you come to a place or a pastor that you thought was going to do the things a little bit differently and better in your eyes hoping that this leader has an oasis of well-watered ideas but then things don't go the way you expected oh my 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 so what do you start doing you start complaining instead of trusting oh we don't like this leader here We're ready to throw this individual out, right? We start complaining instead of trusting. You start creating chaos instead of calling on God to help us be patient. You start majoring in the minors. And oh, we Seventh-day Adventists, we're majoring some minors. Oh, yeah, I could name a few, but I ain't going to name them right now. 
We start majoring in some minors because we can't figure out anything else what to do, so we resort to our old yet known characteristic manners. Saints of God, we aren't so much different than the children of Israel. News flash. Because the ones that we feel are appointed to our churches are God-led, right? We believe that the conference has prayed and prayed and fasted and done all these things to give every single church a spiritual leader. But when things don't go the way we thought, we thought they were going to have a well-watered oasis of old ideas. And then things don't go the way we expected or we hoped. And we start complaining. We start murmuring. We're ready to get rid of individuals. This is no different than the children of Israel were doing to Moses. And so Moses, having a conversation with God along with Aaron, are instructed by God to gather the children of Israel together and are told to speak to the rock. And water would gush out in abundance for them. Now, I can't tell you what the conversation was supposed to be. I don't know if it was going to be, say, rock. I'm going to need you to shoot out some water now, rock. I don't know. You picture it however you picture it in your holy mind. I'm sure because your mind is a little bit different than mine, yours is going to probably sound a lot more godly than mine will. But mine is just going to be like, say, rock, I'm going to need you to spit out some water because these Negroes is getting on my nerves. That's how mine's going to be. But he doesn't do that. Moses does not speak to the rock. However, in verse 10, we find where Moses says, hear now, you rebels. Moses, frustrated with these people, having had dealt with them for many years, calls them out of their name, and he calls them rebels, which in the Hebrew is mara, meaning to rebel, to defy, to become disobedient. You disobedient, yeah! Finish it how you want to finish it. You disobedient individuals. He's beyond irritated and in his human weakness, you know, those moments where all of your holy zeal has just left you now. And in his human weakness, he does opposite of what God says to do. And he begins to take his staff and he and he hits the rock not once, but twice. So you got to you got to picture these things, right? God has said, just talk to me, you know, just just talk. Talk to the rock a little sweet. Say, baby, why don't you just throw us out some water, baby? You know, you got to talk to the rock nice and sweet and try, and try to, try to, you know, try to finesse the rock a little bit or whatnot. Get, you maybe got maybe you got to pet the, pet the rock a little bit. You got, yeah, yeah, maybe you got to pet, <laughs> maybe you got to pet the rock a little bit. But Moses is irritated. Sick of these folk. And so instead of just talking to it, he hits it doing the exact opposite of what God says to do, not once, but twice. How many times in your life have you done opposite to what God has said to do? How many times has God said to you, don't touch, don't smell, don't sniff, don't look, don't do nothing, but you did it anyhow, and you went opposite of God? Not once, but probably about 300 times. Moses, he struck in the rock twice. Moses not knowing at this point that his action, Moses not knowing at at this very point that his action 
action would be the deciding action that would cause Moses to stand there on the mountaintop looking over into the promised land but not able to set foot in it with his people in his heated emotion. Oh, you ever done something out of heated emotion? Oh, yeah, I see that. Ooh, I see that. I'd like to know what that is. No, that's not for me to know. In his heated emotion, he hits the rock. And he's not thinking that the consequence at that very moment, yes, God gets to what the consequence is, but in that heated moment, he's not thinking about, you know what, if I hit this rock two times, then that's going to take me up to the Mount of Pisgah, and I'm going to look over, but I'm not going to get into the problem. None of that is on his mind at this moment. At this moment, I'm irritated. I'm tired of these people. I'm sick of these rebels. I'm annoyed with these rebels. Forget talking the rock. I'm about to hit the rock, and he does it twice. But that action would be the very action that would keep him on the mountaintop versus going over into the promised land. Oh, the things that we do, my friends, that affect our next steps in life. See, we don't know from second to second. We know what we have is right now, the very second that we are in. We don't know the very next second, but what you do the very next second is going to determine some things. Newton's third law of physics states for every action or force in nature, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And Moses's action and reaction kept him out of the promised land. And so I've got to ask you at this moment, what is that thing or things that's going to keep you out of that heavenly promised land? What are you constantly doing? What are you constantly running back to that is going to keep you out of that heavenly promised land? But not only did Moses not make it into the promised land, his brother Aaron didn't either, who in Numbers chapter 20, verse 22 to 29, you don't have to turn there, is reminded by God that Aaron would be led up in the mountain of Mount Hur, Hor, and die on the top of that mountain. Neither one of them got in. Both of these individuals had led these wayward people, and neither one of them were going to make it over into the promised land. You see, my friends, leading comes with a high cost. Leading comes at a very high cost. Leading comes at such a high cost. So before any of us take any church positions, see, I'm not the only leader here. Before we take any church positions, know that we need to be called to these positions because we are tasked with leading the people of God and leaders of God's people have a higher weight on them. See, we're just used to filling out names and sending it into the conference. Did you pray on that? Did you pray that you were supposed to be such and such position? Did God reveal that to you? How did you come to the conclusion? Did you become that leader in that position simply because there was nobody else to fill it? Because from what I see in the word of God, you need to be called to the positions. God has given us some teachers, some of us preachers. God has given us different things. And so if you're doing what God has not called you to do, what in the world are you doing? Leading comes at a high cost, my friends. Notice it with Moses and Aaron. Leading came at a high cost. He struck the rock. No promised land for you. Leading comes at a high cost. Something I find interesting, one about God, two about Moses disobeying, and three, God's faithfulness, right? Notice that Moses disobeys 
right? Moses disobeys, but God is still faithful in doing what he said he will do. I don't know if any of y'all saw that in that text, but Moses did the wrong thing. Moses did completely the wrong thing, but God still did what God said he was going to do, even though Moses did the exact wrong thing. Why does this matter? Don't worry, I'll tell you. Because we tend to look at God only through a transactional if-then lens. Let me say that again. We tend to look at God through a, only through a transactional if-then lens. If I return my tithe and offering, God will bless me. What about those he blesses that don't return? How do you reconcile that? How do, how do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile the fact that God still blesses those? There are some out here that are millionaires that ain't never returned nothing unto God. And you out here got $10 in your bank account, no gas, and a broken car. How do you reconcile that? If I eat all the right foods that God has instructed, I will have long life and good health. What about those that do the opposite of this and they smoke all their entire life and never get cancer, but you do? And you ain't smoked never in your life. How do you, how do you, how do you reconcile these things? You see, we, we, we tend to look at God through the lens of transactional if then, while God is God no matter what you do or what you don't do. God is God no matter what you do or you don't do. The challenge becomes as humans, we struggle with balancing legalism and freedom in Christ. We don't know what side to be on. If we're on this side, we think we're okay. If we're on this side, we think, well, okay. See, see, God's trying to get us to be more balanced Christians, right? He, he's, he doesn't want us to be so legalistic that you're no earthly good, right? The, the way it's termed is so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Doesn't want you to be like that, but he doesn't want you to be so free that you decide I'm going to do anything. So we don't know what to do. We all types of confused, Right? We're so used to looking at God through this if-then lens, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he talks, and if you don't know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, uh, just look him up. It'll tell you who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. He was killed during the German War, um, but he was a theologian. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he talks about something called cheap grace. Cheap grace, right? Cheap grace. But we err equally, right? We err equally as much when we look at God and God things through the wrong lens. Understand that God is God regardless of you. God is God regardless of you. Now, that doesn't give you license to do whatever. It's not a thing of, okay, because I have grace, I can now do whatever. That's cheap grace. But then if you go to the other side of legalism, you're still missing the mark. So most of us are so confused. And so we return our offering because we feel like if I return my tithe and my offering, that's the way God's going to bless me. God is going to be God whether or not. Still return your tithe and offering. But I need you to understand God is going to be God no matter what you do. Because he's God. And he's God all by himself. Moses has done the wrong thing. Moses has done exactly what he was not supposed to do. But if you noticed in the text, it wasn't just that water came out. How did the water come out? What? what? 
Man, speak with confidence. I can't understand what y'all saying. The water came out in abundance, folks. That means that it wasn't just a little drop of water that came out. That means even in his wrong action, God was still God and spewed water out for them. God is God no matter what. Now that Aaron has died, Moses must still lead the children of Israel until he himself is standing upon the mountaintop, unable to go any further, seeing the land, but not being able to touch it. Go with me now to Jude. Jude chapter 1, verses 9. Jude 1, verses 9. And we're going to spend a little bit of time in Jude. Jude is that book that's right before Revelation. Jude is one single chapter. Jude is one of those books we don't much go to. There are several that we don't much go to. If I said, turn to Philemon real quick, you would be hard-pressed to figure out where Philemon is, or Philemon, or however you want to say it, right? Because there are some books in the Bible that are one little itty-bitty chapter that we never seem to go through, right? But we're going to look at Jude chapter 9. Now, as we're, Jude chapter 1, verses 9. Now, as we're in Jude, I need you to stay. Keep your Bible open in Jude. Keep your device open in Jude. I need you to do it. Let's see. I'm not seeing you with no... Oh, always right. Where's your device? There you go. You can look on now when he got his device. We ain't going... We, 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 yeah, y'all are learning over there now. Good job, Perry family. Y'all are learning. Is, is everybody... Because I need you to see this in Jude, right? Oh, uh, let's see. Yeah, you got a device over there. Sister 97-year-old, you got... Yeah, you, you know y'all can't... Can y'all see that? Yeah, you got to get your glasses. <laughs> she got the Bible open and she ain't even got her glasses. All right, we'll wait for you to get your glasses. Everybody got it open? Yeah, y'all going to follow me today. Y'all going to follow me on this hill. All right, and everybody staying awake on me too. I like this hill. Y'all some good people. Hey, man, somebody. There we go. All right, we there? Sister 97, you got your reading glasses? Sister 97 got them. All right. Here we go. Her name's Sister 97 today, y'all. We're now about to make this transition. Now, I need you guys to follow me because I'm going to get a little bit technical here, right? Before we read this, does anybody like school? Anybody like school? I'm not talking about middle school, elementary school. I'm talking about like just school in general. Y'all like school? All right. Y'all remember back in school, right, where they said, put your thinking cap on? Y'all remember that? Put your thinking cap on. I need y'all to follow me for a jiffy. Is that okay? All right. Here we go. I'm going to read this from the New King James Version Bible, and I'm going to read it slow. It states this. Yet Michael. Who's Michael? All right. Now, if I asked y'all to prove that to me, could you prove that to me? That was one and a half person. I don't even know who the other half was. Can y'all prove that Michael is, is Jesus? All right. Mike, how can you prove it? <laughs> Mike can prove that Mike is Jesus. Amen. We got that. Yet Michael, the archangel, Michael is Jesus. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses. Remember, I need to stop right there before I read, read further. Now, Jude is in the New Testament, right? As Moses is standing on Pisgah looking over, he in Deuteronomy, that is the Old Testament, right? That is the Old Testament, right? All right, so just, just, just stick with me. When he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. As Moses stands on the top of Pisgah, we're going to get technical in a second. 
As Moses stands on the top of Pisgah, witnessing the promised land, seeing it with his eyes, but he's never going to touch it with his feet, knowing he is about to die. You know, what is it? I wonder what it feels like. I'm sorry, I just I, I get excited a little bit. I wonder what it feels like to know you're about to die, but, but you're not even, you're not even, your strength hasn't waned any. You're still full of life. Everything, you can still do everything that a little child can do because the Bible says he was 120 years old, but his sight was still good. His strength was still good. What is that like to stand there knowing any second now I'm going to die? Just, we got to step into the humanness of it for a second, right? Mind you, Moses does not know what's going to transpire next. He doesn't, we have all of this because we're thousands of years removed from it. But all he knows is my brother has already died up on there, up, up a little while ago, up on Mount Horton. Now I'm up, up on this mountain looking over Pisgah, looking over at a land I ain't never going to touch. And he has no clue about a conversation that's about to happen over his body. Somebody phone ringing. Somebody get that phone. Somebody put silent on that phone real quick. Sister Pam, is that your phone? Is that your phone? I'm going off on you. Who phone that is? Oh, it's all right. Don't worry, bro. We wait for you to. Yeah, there you go. There you go. It might be the Lord calling. Amen. There we go. <laughs> it's all right, saints. So um, Moses, Moses, right? Moses, he's standing on the top of Pisgah. And he's witnessing the promised land, knowing with a surety, I'm about to die. Not realizing that he's about to miss out on this brief yet profound conversation after his death that will take place between Satan and Jesus. Now, I don't know what it's, I have no clue what this is like. But you, you anybody ever seen the movie In Time? It's I in T-I-M-E, in time. And nobody's ever seen that movie? Who said yes? Thank you. Two people have seen it. All right. In time. Basically, the, your currency in that movie, in time, your currency is no longer money. Right? Your currency is time. And so what happens is the, the, the more time you're given or the more time you steal or however you get that time, everybody's born with a certain amount of time, but you can get more time. But when that time runs out, you just... You just fall over. Am I right? Those who have seen the movie, you know that's what happens. When the time runs out, no matter what you're doing, driving in your car, sleeping in your bed, walking down the street, no matter what you're doing, when your time runs out, you just fall over. Moses, he's standing there on Pisgah. No clue that there's going to be a conversation or a dispute about his body. All he knows is, I'm about to die. We're going to come back to that in a second. We're going to have a few teaching moments real, night, real quick. Some of y'all said y'all like school. For those of you that don't like school, oh well, I don't know how to help you. Now, is everybody still in Jude? All right. Look at Jude verses 4. I'm not going to read, read some of these verses, but I'm going to give you some context, right? Is everybody there? All right. Verse 4 tells us right 
Verse 4 tells us that certain false teachers had slipped into the church and so Jude is writing the church to address these ungodly men. Because what you got to understand about these different letters and general epistles and different things like that, they're writing to deal with different issues, right? Now, let me pause right there. Here's one of the things about Michael the Archangel. Now, we know as Seventh-day Adventists, so we ascribe uh, uh, Michael the Archangel, we ascribe Jesus to be Michael the Archangel. But what you have to, what you have to understand in the historical context, right, there was, there was an ordering of angels, right? They had different orderings of angels. So you had the first highest, the second highest, the third highest, the fourth highest, right? And when you go to books like the book of Colossians and, 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 and you come right here, when you look at the historical context of it, there's disputing about the different order of angels. I'm just throwing that out there. Listen, I, there's a nerd side to me that I get real excited about, right? Very much. So he's writing to deal with a specific issue of these false teachers who slipped into the church and Jude has to address their mess. In verse 6, are y'all there verse 6? Bro, man, you looking at me, you ain't got verse 6. Let's see, you got verse 6? Because he's just staring at me. Let's see, yeah, you ain't got verse 6. Here, I'll help you find Jude. Y'all just wait one second right before Revelation. Here we go, Jude is right there. You won't be right there. All right. Little man, you got it? Yeah, little man got it right there. See, hey, Makai, you got it? Your Bible ain't open. It's right before Revelation. Y'all ain't got nothing else better to do. If you're hungry, I got peppermints in the office. Feel free, go in there, eat a peppermint. There's a whole stack of them Sister Pam fills me up with. My son grabs about 20 of them every time he comes in the office. Y'all there? Sister, you just... Wait, you got it? Well, right here. All right, y'all there. All right. Can you see that? All right. Y'all sharing? Put it more in the middle to make me believe y'all are sharing. You put, I see that. Hold on. Y'all got it? Look, I, man, I love it when even the children got the Bible open because y'all know I'm coming for y'all. Boy, I like this. All right, let's go. I'm sorry. I get a little happy, guys. In verse 6, Jude begins now talking about angels. Do y'all see that in verse 6? And he says, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, what was for them? Everlasting darkness was for them. In verse 5 to 16, Jude is condemning these false teachers that have slipped in, which is where verse 9 is part of the direct context. Please, please, please stick with me. However, what word did I just say? However, say that word again. Thank you. That just gave me time to drink some water. However, verse 8 and 9 are even more directly connected. Offering, this is what they're doing. It's offering a contrast. And I'm going to go slow through this because I need you to get it. It's offering a contrast in the way that the false teachers are causing issues, which you should see in there. They're defiling, they're rejecting, and they're speaking evil of. Do you see that? This side saw it. Do y'all see that? Thank you, because you knew I was looking at you. <laughs> Thank you. So they're, 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 he, he's, he, he's noticing, he's noting, right, that these false teachers who are causing issues, they're defiling, they're rejecting, and they're speaking evil. Versus 
how Michael the archangel, because verse 8 and 9 are even a more direct context, versus how Michael the archangel and or Jesus is dealing with things. Notice the transitional yet or but. Do you see that in verse 9? What does it start with? Who? Yet Michael the archangel. Yours says not. Oh, we don't want durst not. We want yet. There we go. Y'all see that yet? Some versions have yet. Some versions have but, right? See, see, see. So, so you notice that there's a transitional yet and or a transitional but. And then notice how the text says when he, Michael, Jesus, was contending with the devil, when he, Satan, right? I'm just filling in who, who each of these individuals are. When he, Satan, disputed about the body of Moses, Michael dared not bring against him, Satan, a reviling accusation. But... But said, the Lord rebuke you. Folks, please stay with me. Trust me, I'm coming to something in a moment. I need y'all to still see. Here's one thing about the Bible, folks. When you see those transitional yets and buts, they're contrast, right? And, and if you know something about the gospel, the whole gospel hangs on a simple word called but, right? Why does it hang on that simple word called but? Because eternal life was not for you at one time, right? It was eternal death. But because Jesus decided to die on the cross for you and I, we now have eternal life. Those buts, they matter. Follow with me real quick. Just, just stick with me. Hold on. I got to wipe my head. All right. Glass about to fall off. Hold on. Get my glasses right there. Come on, don't laugh at me. I see you laughing at me. Stay with me. I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit more teaching. Now, follow me, folks. Jude is actually, let me, let me, let me tell you where he's quoting from. Jude is actually quoting from a non-canonical book called The Assumption of Moses or The Testament of Moses. Now, just let me, let me stop right there. Let me tell you what non-canonical means non-canonical means that it's not part of the 66 books you have genesis to revelation right some folk got together under the spirit, uh, uh, leading of the holy spirit and and decided that the canon the bible would be 66 books and it's a closed canon meaning you can't add another book to make it more bible books right jude please follow me Jude is quoting from a non-canonical book. And I'm going to tell you why this matters in one second. Jude is quoting from a non-canonical book called The Assumption of Moses or The Testament of Moses. It's interchangeable. You can call it, call it e e either one of them. And folks, it, might, it just might blow your minds a little bit, just a little bit, that within the Bible there are some authors who quote from these non-canonical books. Why does it matter? I'm glad you asked. Because it's good old Seventh-day Adventist. As good old Seventh-day Adventist, some of us won't read any Christian book that isn't written by an SDA author. Some of us won't quote another one. Some of... <sighs> Some of us, we, 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 we won't even read it. We won't quote it if it's talking about a non-SDA church, but they have good growth in that church. They're doing something right. We won't read it because it's a non-Seventh-day Adventist book. Jude is quoting from a non-canonical book, folks. 
He's quoting from a non-canonical book. And if we quote, if we, folks, if we, if right, because we're so scared to, if it's not an SDA author, and if we quote from non-SDA books, some of the saints are ready to stone us. Newsflash! Some of the Bible authors didn't even quote Bible books. Some of them quote non-canonical books like the Apocrypha. However, that doesn't mean they endorse the entirety of the book. See, some of y'all don't like to look at the historicalness behind the text. Oh, don't worry. I know what my sermon title is and all of this is part of it. And you're trying to figure out how does any of this have anything to do with it? Oh, I told you. Stick with me. More teaching. One of the basis is. For Jude 9, Jude 1 verse 9, again, it's only one chapter in there. One of the basis is for Jude 9 is the vision of Zechariah in Zechariah 3. Y'all remember the vision of Zechariah 3, which is the dispute between the Lord and Satan over Joshua the high priest. You remember that dispute, right? And he's told, take off these filthy garments and put on these righteous garments, right? And Satan is standing there to dispute him, right? Understand this, the verdict, the verdict, the, ver the Lord's verdict was effective, Right. The Lord's verdict was effective pertaining to Joshua, the high priest, sealing Satan's defeat in the courtroom and declaring Joshua's vindication. Right. What Christ had said. Right. What Christ had said and what Christ had done it sealed Satan's defeat. Even though Joshua wasn't perfect. Stay with me. The terms that we find used in verse 9 suggest that it's a legal dispute over Moses' body. You see, even when you look at Revelation chapter 12, right, and you see that there was war in heaven, it wasn't a war with guns. It wasn't a fist fight. How do you fist fight God? How do you wrestle God? Right? It's, 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 it's conversational, right? The terms that we find in verse 9 suggest that there's a legal dispute over Moses' body similar to the legal dispute over Joshua the high priest. They have connections. By establishing, follow this, by establishing Moses' guilt, meaning his sins, the mess he did wrong. Remember, he killed an Egyptian and he fled and he hit the rock when he was told not to hit the rock, right? He, he's got guilt. The devil wanted to deprive Moses of an honorable burial and presumably claim ownership over his body. This is my body. Michael, who is Jesus, right, had every right it would seem to criticize the devil at this point. He could criticize the devil since you remember the devil was wicked and his motives were evil. But Michael did not presume to criticize the de devil and utter a reviling judgment against him. Oh, saints of God. If we knew how to be like Jesus and close our mouths. See, you feel like just because you know somebody else's dirt, you got to say something. Jesus at that juncture, as they're having a conversation about Moses' body, could have easily went out on Satan. Satan, you done, you done took angels with you, you done did this, you done did that, and you done did that. But he does not need to say anything. His own actions condemn Satan anyhow. We can learn something by shutting our mouths, saints of God. We always feel that we have to stay, say something every time something is transpiring. No, you don't. Stay with me, though. 
It's very important, saints, it's very important to understand that in this text, that Jude 9, that Jude 9 text, how Michael dealt with Satan by not bringing a slanderous accusation against him, even though he had every right to do so because of what he did on heaven as well as what he did on earth. Every right to. But peep this, peep this. The Lord's rebuke of Satan concerning Moses, watch this, will function the same way it would for Zechariah. In that it would be an effective response to Satan since Moses was vindicated of murdering the Egyptian and for striking the rock. Therefore, since he was vindicated and forgiven, even though Moses would not be permitted into the promised land, Moses would be given a burial by Jesus himself when Satan wanted to claim Moses' body. Listen to me, saints. If you finish the journey well, Christ will stand for you. At this very moment, justice, Moses' sin, has now kissed God's grace, and Jesus is now standing for Moses. Moses standing there on the mountain. We're coming back to this in a second. He's standing there, and he's looking over. And I have to imagine how Moses fell, right? See, that, this is what my imagination does is I read the text because the Bible doesn't tell me how he fell. But I have to think about the loving Jesus that we serve, right? And I have to imagine that Moses didn't just fall to the ground like that movie in time. When your time runs out, you just fall over. I have to imagine that as Moses was falling, Jesus appeared out of nowhere and just caught him. I have to believe that because Jesus is always there to pick us up when we fall. And Moses' lifeless body, he's standing there. And then the very next second, he begins to fall. And out of nowhere, Jesus arrives and just catches him. And then he, he lays him on the ground nice and soft. And you see, you remember, if you remember in Genesis, how all of this stuff began when Adam was laying on the ground and he's formed him and he's molded him and he's shaped him. And then what does Jesus do with my imagination? He picks him up, right? He picks Adam up and he, he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam is now moving and now walking. So I have to imagine this in reverse that as Moses is falling, dust thou art and dust thou shalt be, that he's falling to the ground and Jesus just picks him. And he lays him nice and soft on the ground and he's beginning to bury him. But then here comes Satan. Here comes nasty old Satan ready to bring accusations, ready to bring charges against him. But he's murdered this individual. He struck the rock when he wasn't supposed to struck the rock. He's not worthy of nothing but Jesus is worthy of it all. According to the tradition of the Assumption of Moses, the Testament of Moses, whatever you want to call it, after the Lord rebuked the devil, the devil fled and Michael or Jesus was now able to, to, to continue or complete the burial process. You see, according to the Assumption of Moses, aside from the sins of Moses, the devil tried to make the claim that Moses' body was his because the world is his. That's what he tried to do. Moses tried, I mean, Satan tried to say, this body is mine. This world is mine. If you remember in 2 Corinthians 4.4, which talks about Satan being the God of this age. If you remember Ephesians 2.2, which talks about Satan being the prince of the power of the air. 
That means all of the little things that are in the air. Y'all science folk, y'all know all that stuff in the air. I just breathe it. I don't know what's all in it, right? But, 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 but he's, he's the God of this air stuff. You see, this was about to turn Satan's world upside down. It was literally about to turn Satan's world upside down. Satan had wrested the world from God through the fall of Adam and Eve. Yet now for the first time, Satan would see a burial by Jesus. Ain't nobody been buried by Jesus at that point. Listen, when it's my time to go, I hope Jesus bury me. I don't know what that's going to be like, but that's got to be a good old funeral. Y'all remember that song, in that grave, getting, oh, we sung that earlier. Fairly well, fairly well. Y'all don't know them old songs, right? Y'all ain't never lived in the country, man. You sing that song and, yeah, you just, you know, man, y'all need to get out of Ypsilanti and go down to the country or something like that. Good, great. All right. Satan has now rested. He's taken this world from God through the fall of Adam and Eve, Right? Yet now for the first time, Satan would see a burial by Jesus himself, but then not just a burial, Satan would soon witness the first resurrection ever. Because remember, you're reading this in Jude in the New Testament, but you got to remember this is actually happening in Deuteronomy. This is happening in Deuteronomy 34 as he's standing on Mount. The New Testament hasn't happened yet. Jesus hasn't come as a babe yet. Jesus hasn't walked for 33 and a half years yet. Jesus hasn't gotten on that cross yet. Jesus hasn't risen out. He's about to see for the first time. Not only Jesus bury somebody, but raise somebody up. It is literally about to throw Satan's entire world in a frenzy. So what? Satan in total dismay. Hebrews 2.14 says, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. SDA Bible commentary states this. Satan has the power of death. Yeah? Because he is the originator of sin. These are the reasons why Moses, I mean, uh, 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 Satan felt he was supposed to be able to do what he wanted to do with the body of Moses, right? Because if you remember in Deuteronomy, right, nobody knows until that day. Remember the text said nobody knows until that day where he was buried because nobody buried him but God. Jesus had buried him and then he rose him up. So Satan... Up until that point, had never seen Jesus bury nobody, had never seen a resurrection. All he knows is the people that die are mine. They're mine. Satan has the power of death because he is the originator of sin and death results from sin. His kingdom is a kingdom of death and in it he rules. This SDA Bible commentary. As sin rules in our lives, so death rules and Satan rules. Christ who entered the realm of death, Satan's stronghold, right? He rested and rested from Satan his prey. When he thought he had Christ in his power, remember when Christ went into the tomb and he died, right? When the tomb was sealed and Christ locked in, Satan exalted. He was happy because he thought he finally got the victory however that wasn't the case but Christ burst the bonds of death and walked forth from the grave for it was not possible that he should be holding it up yet before Jesus would die my friends before Jesus would die on the cross and raise again Jesus though Moses had sinned yes Moses had sinned he sinned so badly but now Jesus stands for Moses against the devil after Moses had entered further into Satan's realm through death because he's already died 
He's already gone over into death. There's no more consciousness. He's falled over in my imagination, takes me to Jesus catching him. Uh, Satan now showing up. And he's now slipped further into Satan's realm through death. Now the Lord himself then rebukes the devil. He buries Moses, Moses, then eventually resurrects Moses. Ellen White says this, Satan contended earnestly for the body of Moses. Do y'all understand what earnestly means? This man was literally arguing for, Mo for Moses' body. Again, he sought to enter into controversy with Christ in regard to the injustice of God's law. And with deceiving power, reiterated his false statements about not being fairly treated. His accusations were such, however, Christ did not bring against him the record of the cruel work which he had done in heaven by deceptive misrepresentation. The falsehoods he had told in Eden that led to Adam's transgression, transgression and the stirring up of the worst passions of the host of Israel to incite them to murmur and rebel until Moses lost command of himself. Christ did not retaliate to answer Satan. Oh, if we would just shut our mouths sometimes. He brought no railing accusation of him, but he raised Moses from the dead and took him to heaven. I can't tell you how long Moses was dead. The Bible doesn't say. But let's just say it was a day, two days, whatever. Mo Where y'all going? She fine. She ain't bothering me. Yeah, yeah. Sit back down. Yeah, don't go nowhere. Yeah, where y'all going? My saints is trying to leave me. No. We ain't finished yet. We be finished soon. What's her name? Sky. We almost done. All right. Can you just, you want some water? All right. You need some, I got some peppermints and stuff and all. You want peppermint? I got peppermint in my pocket. Hold on, y'all. We're just having a conversation over here. Here we go. Here we go. All right. We'll be done in a few minutes. All right. Then you can go, Sky. Sorry, y'all. Where was I at? I know where I was at. Let me check where I was at. <laughs> Moses falls over. Jesus catches him. Satan brings his railing accusation against him. He, Jesus stops the burial process. Whatever that process was, he stops the process while Satan is talking to him. Jesus decides, ain't no point in me responding to this clown. Jesus does not respond, but he only says, the Lord rebuke you. And when he rebukes him, Satan flees. He continues the burial process. He puts him underneath the ground. And then let's say it happens the same day. He unearths Moses right back out of the ground while the children of Israel are crossing over the Jordan River to go into Jericho. And Moses is heading on up to heaven. I've been to the mountaintop. Not only did he go to the mountaintop, he went to heaven. In this life, saints of God, trust me, you're going to hurt some people mentally. In this life, saints of God, you're going to hurt people physically. You're going to hurt people socially. You're going to hurt people emotionally. And you're going to hurt people spiritually. And you will be hurt in this manner also as you travel through this life. In this life, saints of God, you're going to sin. 
In this life, saints of God, you will sin and you're going to do the opposite of what God has asked you to do. Just like God said, talk to the rock. Don't hit the rock. You're going to mess up. In this life, saints of God, you will disappoint people and you're going to disappoint yourself. But you will and you're going to cause untold harm in various ways. But if you finish the journey well. If you finish the journey well, saints of God, Christ is going to stand for you. If you finish the journey well, Christ is going to resurrect you. On that great getting up morning, saints, he's going to blow that trumpet, and we who are dead in Christ shall, shall be risen first, and we who are alive shall be caught up to the clouds. If you finish the journey well, saints of God. If you finish the well, if you finish the journey well, saints of Christ, saints of God, Christ will fight your battles for you. As Moses was falling, as Moses has died, he's fighting Satan. Oh man, Christ will fight for you, saints. And if you finish the journey well, there's eternal life for you, saints of God. But you've got to finish the journey well. Finish the journey well, saints of God, like Dr. King said. I may not get there with you, but I've been to the mountaintop. Like Moses, I will not get there with you, but I'm on the mountaintop. And at that mountaintop where he died is the same mountaintop from where he was risen back to life. Where you die in your walk or your non-walk with Christ, saints, is where you will be raised up. Some to everlasting life some to everlasting contempt but you gotta finish the journey well saints you gotta finish the journey well i know the journey's hard and you can play something if you want uh byron i know i know the journey's hard the journey gets real hard the journey gets tiring but christ he's gonna stand for you he's gonna fight for you christ will do everything He's already defeated Satan. But it's up to you to finish well. That doesn't mean it's gonna be a perfect journey. No, Moses messed up. Moses committed murder. Moses got angry. Moses struck the rock. Moses wasn't permitted into the earthly promised land. But he finished the journey well. Don't get so focused on your mess ups that it keeps you so hung up that you don't trust in Jesus Christ. You're gonna mess up. But finish the journey well. The song we sang earlier, it said, we shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I know that I believe we shall overcome someday. Keep being an overcomer, saints of God. That's how you finish well. And as you finish well, there's that opportunity to stand on that sea of glass and to hear those words, well done, well done, thy good and faithful servant. If you want to finish well, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. You want to finish well. Lord, the saints want to finish well. But Lord, sometimes it gets real hard. Sometimes it gets hard to hold our peace. Sometimes we say things and do things and hurt people in ways that we shouldn't. But Lord, we want to finish well. Because we see, dear God, 
if we finish well, we'll be risen up just like Moses. Save us, Heavenly Father. Carry us when we can't walk. We praise you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Finish the journey well, saints.